Good morning to you folks, it's Oliver Callan here, still standing in and until 10 o'clock this morning as usual, it is the 12th of July and it happens to be a dreary, dreary, miserable Wednesday, cloudy with a chance of comet haze. Well, the nation is well and truly divided out there, uh, namely over how you pronounce it, Renault or Renault, but uh, Renault now would be a favourite of the, the, the Culture TDs to showcase their humble, humble origins. Renault. Whereas South County Dublin, I notice all kind of tend towards, and Dublin in general, actually, uh, among the TDs, tended to veer towards Renault. Um, but likely some of them wouldn't be seen um, dead driving one, basically. And what does it say about your social status, I wonder? Nobody's definitely going the full French Renault, but Renault. Now in Monaghan, in Monaghan uh, it's definitely Renault. But I noticed Renault was definitely the kind of West of Ireland. That was the West of Ireland accent thing. Uh, so that's what's, it's all across the papers. Obviously, I'm trying to cover things that won't be covered elsewhere in this regard. And uh, what else do we learn from yesterday that you don't hear elsewhere? Well, I didn't realise that you don't really know a person fully unless you've had a cup of tea with them. That is the yardstick against which all friendship is measured in Ireland. Do I, no, did I ever have a cup of... I know them 20 years. Did I ever have a cup of tea with them, though? No, so I wouldn't know. And if you worked selling things for Cadbury's, some TDs aren't sure what you might be selling. What would you be selling, oh, in Cadbury's? Would it be cars? Is there a Renault Cadbury? Anyway, um, I'll move on from this. And I'm not doing so just because, you know, Ortiz told me to do that because we don't always do whatever Ortiz asks us uh, without question. Anyway, the text is 51551. And from the north, good morning, Northern Ireland, text studio, followed by your message to 80889. A special good morning to you if you're on your way to an orange parade and you've, let's face it, accidentally tuned to RT Radio 1. Welcome. And uh, across the water in Britain, uh, the Independent over there tells us that the Battle of the Boyne has started showing up. Well, it's, it happens every, every year or so, doesn't it? The Battle of the Moines shows up on the iPhone calendar because it's a public holiday in Northern Ireland. And if you're in the rest of the UK, it shows up as, um, as, a, as a kind of a public holiday. And, and, and the British users of the iPhone calendar are, are startled by this. Someone had a, a tweet here where their calendar had to take out the rubbish and then underneath Battle of the Boyne. So someone is, is thinking, busy day for me according to my calendar. I need to uh, take the bins out for some reason. Then I'm off to fight in the Battle of the Boyne. See you there if you're going. It shows up on Irish iPhones as well, does it? It hasn't showed up on mine, but uh, I suppose maybe if you're up and down the board, well, if you're in the north, obviously it's there, but it is a bank holiday um, up, up north there. Uh, just ask Siri, this texter says, what events I had on the calendar? And he duly reminded me that the Battle of the Boyne will be an all-day event. So thanks for keeping it relevant. And another year, another moment of wondering how the hell the Battle of the Boyne gets so much prominence in my calendar. And this goes on and on among the Brits who are completely startled and confused about why that's there. Uh, appointments of the day, you're battling in the Boyne. I've always wondered as well, if you really wanted to settle, uh, celebrate the Battle of the Boyne very specifically, wh why would you go wandering around small towns in Ulster? You know, you could just come down and do it in the actual Boyne Valley, you know, in County Mees, uh, Old Bridge, isn't that there? Roughly the area there where that happened. Uh, we've state agencies down here, so they'd be delighted to welcome the tour at Stirling. They'd give the Orangemen tax breaks to come south. There's something they're missing out. And sure, if they marched across the whole valley for the summer, 
instead of little streets, you know, maybe they wouldn't all look like a an Irish cabinet from the 1970s with 72 inch waistlines and not a woman in sight. There's an idea, you know, you could market Meath as the wild Williamite way. That's that's that kind of, and, and then you could, you know, Tato Park is now gone, it's now Emerald Park, but for the month of July, you could rebrand Tato Park again, but the northern version of Tato, that could be a thing, you know, with the Worcester flavoured crisps that you only get in the north. I can see people latching onto that. Yes, the Battle of the Boyne Visitor Centre, that's up by Old Bridge off the M1 motorway. I haven't been to it, but I do intend to go, and every year I'm reminded, I said... Um, should should head in that direction. Now, what else is happening in the papers? Uh, curiously, in the Belfast Telegraph of all things, it tells us about what's happening in Paris. And I think it's a magical moment for a lot of Parisians this morning, said the Transport Minister, Clément Beaune. What is he talking about? Well, a crane has hoisted these huge oak trusses from a barge in the Seine and onto the Notre Dame Cathedral on Tuesday, a spectacular operation, it says here, to rebuild the fire-ravaged monument and bring it back to life by the end of next year. This is an extraordinary achievement in Paris because, as you know, Notre Dame was consumed by flames in 2019 and uh, they decided to rebuild the monument with the, uh, the, the quite literally millions, if not billions, that they, that they raised with Emmanuel Macron and his fundraising campaign. They're using traditional methods, literally medieval techniques to construct the trusses, which are uh, 56, 52 feet wide, 46, 46 by 52. And they've just used ropes and uh, they've got them on the roof and there's a picture there of it going up. And this is a proud moment for um, the Parisians across, across there, who definitely say Renault. Oh, the texts are coming in. 51551 is our text number. Where, where do you leave Peugeot? Some pronounce it Peugeot. Obviously, the, the Brits, they say Peugeot, don't they? Peugeot. We say Peugeot. We say Peugeot. That's what we say. Peugeot. The, the Cadbury Peugeot. It's a new bar that's gone out there. And what would you be doing in Peugeot? Well, you could be selling anything from bicycles, cars and the pepper mill because Monsieur Peugeot invented the pepper mill. So the fancy pepper mills are Peugeot with the lion. Um, speaking of tourist attractions, the Acropolis in Athens, in Greece, is going undercover because of, well, climate change, but the heat waves that are going to hit the continent and are currently um, striking and causing forest fires across the continent at the moment. Sunshades, so they're going to put, this is kind of remarkable, they're going to put sunshades across the Acropolis in Athens, you know, up on, up on the hill there, the Parthenon, uh, to stop tourists fainting from the heat because soaring temperatures, it was 43 degrees in Greece at the moment and tourists sweltered in the heat yesterday as they waited to visit the Parthenon part of the ancient citadel known as the Acropolis that sits on a great crag of rock looming over Athens a very beautiful crag of rock they sought shelter under the groves of olive trees so now they're going to have to put um, canopies across the place to try and shade people the Red Cross are getting involved handing out water I mean this is unbelievable in Italy they're sweltering the fierce heat remember Italy which was doused with floods up in Tuscany earlier in uh, late spring 45 degrees it's going to be in Sardinia and Sicily it's in the late 30s already in Florence and uh, it was in the town of in, in, in a town in eastern Sicily the mercury hit 49 degrees this heat is kind of insane said a tourist from Singapore and it's on and on it goes Italy and Greece are suffering Spain and Portugal we know like they're hardly places to visit and there are warnings that it won't be long before they won't even be livable is the problem now um, general Sorry, Generation Z have other problems to worry about. Obviously, they're the main campaigners uh, for climate action. But the, the main issue they have is the grey and the cold, dreary home colour trends that have been founded by millennials. So, you know, millennials, us early people, early 80s to late 90s, and Gen Z or Gen Z, if you're an American, 
Gen Z are late 90s onwards. And TikTok users have dubbed the dark monochromatic home decor trend millennial grey as a dig at the group of adults generally born in that period. The once popular furnishing movement is now catching the ire of Gen Zers who seem to overwhelmingly favour bright, colourful and maximalist decor. Why do these Gen Zers hate grey? Well, let's hear from one of the great influencers, designer influencer, says you. Millennial grey is dead. Why? Millennial grey is finally being recognised as the cold, dreary colour it's always been. Can you think of anything you love in nature that's grey? The colour grey conjures up images of prisons, pigeons, rain clouds and reptiles. Luckily, light taupey cream and beiges are here to free you from your grey. Sorry, hang on. So the greys, he says nice things like rain clouds, which can be pretty, you know, and paintings. Reptiles, they're grey, they're a very nice thing. The hooded crow is grey, you know, it's these wonders of nature. And he wants to replace it with taupe, taupe, which is beige. Mother of divine. These Gen Zers, huh? They wouldn't know their Reynolds from their Peugeots. Um, let's move on to movies, shall we? Movies are all the rage because it's the summer blockbuster season and all that. And Killian Murphy's been out talking about Oppenheimer because he plays the father of the atomic bomb in Christopher Nolan's upcoming film. And of course, Oppenheimer is a famous smoker. Um, the cigarettes and pipes uh, killed him in the end, basically. And Killian Murphy has to smoke through the film. He doesn't smoke himself. He uses the herbal cigarettes that they have in, in films. And he's also talking about the fact that Thomas Shelby in Peaky Blinders was a, a, an avid smoker. There's a lot of smoking and aggressive smoking. It's, it's like an important kind of thing in the film, the smoking. And uh, he says he's got, not going to do it anymore. He's had enough. I have smoked so many fake cigarettes for Peaky and this movie, Oppenheimer, my next character won't be a smoker. They can't be good for you. Uh, on top of smoking hundreds of fake cigarettes over the years, he said he didn't enjoy He had to lose weight. Killian Murphy lost weight to play Oppenheimer, who was famously skinny, as everyone was in the 50s, uh, or in the, sorry, the 30s, 40s. And um, so that's what he's, he, he was already pretty thin, let's face it. Prop cigarettes and pipes. These are the things they use in the films when they're obviously not smoking for real. They don't contain tobacco or nicotine, but they do emit harmful carcinogens and toxins. So... Pretty bad, pretty bad for you. And he's just saying no more. And there was a time when they decided they weren't going to have smoking anymore in movies. And in kids' films, Cruella DeVille famously in their remake thing, she doesn't smoke in it, which is kind of sacrilege for the villain. And the whole point of her smoking was to highlight her villainous nature. Uh, now, this film is coming out Friday week and the world premiere took place in Paris the other day and the reviews are out. Well, Christopher Nolan himself said, it's going to be an intense experience. It's a very serious subject. And film goers are going, serious? Intense? These are not things we're looking forward to. Um, some of the early critics tweeting before they do their full, full review said, uh, Oppenheimer left me stunned. Character study on the grandest scale. Sublime performances. The acting is definitely getting, the performances are yeah, getting very, very good reviews. Uh, but they're saying things like, there's a lot of tension, structure, sense of scale, startling, startling sound design. Okay, remarkable visuals, getting better, because you don't go to a film for the structure and tension, generally. Anyway, it's not, as we know, it's going to be serious, very good film, we hope. Not going to be the crack. It's going to be a film lover's film, and you go for your escape elsewhere. Places like Mission Impossible, uh, which apparently is Tom Cruise's most highly rated movie ever. Rotten Tomatoes, which is the kind of uh, very difficult to please site, a mixture between audience reviews and serious critic reviews, and they measure them all up together. Uh, Tom Cruise has received his most impressive Rotten Tomatoes score ever with the new Mission Impossible film, uh, which is Dead Reckoning Part 1. It's one of the longest titles we've seen in a long time. It's the seventh in the MI series. 
And he's got the highest Rotten Tomato score at 98% after 171 reviews. And he's 61, by the way, um, Tom Cruise, 61 on Monday. Obviously, Top Gun Maverick was a huge hit for him. And now this is getting rave, rave reviews and now Rotten Tomatoes say they also like it as well. Incidentally, the lowest rated Tom Cruise film on Rotten Tomatoes is Cocktail at 9%. 1988. It's practically millennial grey comedy, isn't it, at that point? Uh, it's going to have the biggest opening weekend for a Mission Impossible film to date. So it's already taken over 100 million in the box office America and it's going to be up against Barbie and Oppenheimer next weekend. And some of the critics are wondering, could Tom Cruise, with all these good reviews, perhaps beat them? Might beat them. Um, t- talking about escape movies, Wonka. You know this is the, the prequel film starring Timothée Chalamet. It's a bit of a French theme going on this morning, isn't it? Timothée Chalamet um, is playing the uh, playing Willy Wonka, the eccentric chocolate mogul uh, who didn't work in Cadbury's or sell Renault's. Uh, and before, it's all about before he opens the factory, having spent seven years travelling the world, perfecting its craft. It's got everybody in it. Olivia Coleman is in it. Sally Hawkins plays Willy Wonka's mother. Rowan Atkinson is there. Uh, you've got Hugh Grant as a very, very funny uh, CGI Oompa Loompa. And the director of... Paddington has made the film, the producers of Harry Potter, the songs, because it is a musical, are by Neil Hannon. This is going to be the wonderful, exciting fantasy escape for this Christmas. Let's have a listen. I spent the past seven years traveling the world perfecting my craft. You see, I'm something of a magician, inventor, and chocolate maker. So quiet up and listen down. Nope, scratch that, reverse it. Mr. Wonka, I can say you're a man of great ingenuity. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? Dark, white, nutty, absolutely insane. Huh. Huh? Huh. A double hump. To the pencil and paper? Uh-huh. I got an idea. I know things haven't been easy for you. They're gonna get better. You promise? I pinky promise. That's the most solemn vow there is. Where do we start? Ladies and gentlemen of the gallery gourmet! My name is Willy Wonka. If that doesn't get you excited now, nothing will. I mean, he plays it in a very Gene Wilder way, Timothée Chalamet, with the kind of, the, there's distinct head ticks and swirling eyes. So the trailer is out. You can look at it. He's got that kind of sense of mania and wonder, which I think uh, is, is gearing up to be a goodie because, you know, sequels, prequels, they don't always work out, but it's very, very, very well cast. Now, if you're into, if you're into your films, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes people well, have put together the kind of movies uh, the funny, what's regarded as the funniest movie of the year you're born. Isn't that the case? And you can go to whatever year. It starts off in the 1950s, actually. If you're born in 1959, for instance, Some Like It Hot is considered uh, to be the funniest film of that year. So you can look at the funniest Hollywood movie, the year you were born. And uh, the, it goes right up to 2022. Whereas for children born in 2022, The Lost City was the funniest film. It's a bad year for comedy. That was the Channing Tatum, Sandra Bullock film. I saw that one. I did see it and I was kind of a little bit bored by the whole thing. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is in it as well. There were some funny moments in a sort of a Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum way. But anyway, what am I talking about? This is the Gen Z considerations of funny. And it's IMDB, which is the movie database place and tomato meter, Rotten Tomatoes. So it's kind of fairly bulletproof in terms of uh, wrapping up all the audience and critics ratings. Um, well, I'm 1980. So what's the funniest film? In 1989, I see there when Holly... In 1980, Airplane. That's a good one. That's a good comedy film to have, Airplane. Uh, which, of course, Leslie Nielsen and all that. That's a really good one. 1981, 
Arthur. Not quite as good. Good song, actually, in that film. Um, I was born the last four days of 1980, so I nearly had Arthur. So there you go. Uh, if we look up Italian 90, actually, that year, if you're born in the year of Italian 90, let's have a look. I see Meet the Parents for 2000, if you're getting into the Gen Zs. Italian 90, the movie, the, ah, very obvious, Home Alone is, is the 1990 movie of the year. So it's, it's a very interesting one. That's on mental floss, if you want to look up and bore yourself and uh, your family and your friends, um, if, you're, if you have friends, uh, by the way, if you've had cups of tea with them. And there's a text in here about that. In relation to you, you have to have a cup of tea with someone to really get to know them. I've never drunk a tea, a cup of tea or coffee in my life. I hate the taste. It causes much consternation when I visit any Irish household. Well, I'm not surprised because you, you literally have no friends. If you've never had tea with someone, you've got no friends. There are beautiful greys in nature, says this text, who are fighting against the death of millennial grey. Wicklow granite, barren limestone, the giant's causeway basalt, moody Irish sky and seascapes Irish granny from before when generations had logos. Oh, with four generations had logos and labels and all that sort of stuff. I got a little bit passionate there because fighting for the greys. What's wrong with the grey and the grey vote? The grey movements? What's wrong with all this stuff? Uh, what's this here? I was on a job in Derry about 10 years ago in July. Uh -huh. And I needed a taxi to the other side of the city. The driver was friendly and explained the different areas as we went through the many flagged streets with faint drumming, drumming heard in the background. When getting out, I asked, could I call him to pick me up again for my lift back? He said, no bother. Is your phone a northern number? Without missing a beat, I said in my thick Cork accent, no, no, my phone's a Catholic. <laughs> I could have died, but he had a good laugh saying I was in the right taxi. <laughs> There's many, many elements, uh, very many grey areas in that particular one. OK, I didn't realise that was a whole Cork thing until I got to the end. <laughs> when I say where you're coming from, 51551, that is the text number. Forget all of these Gen Zers and their grace. They're not, not listening to us. Anyway, incidentally, they are, of course. But uh, that is... Uh, we, good morning to all the millennials out there because the 1980s was a beautiful place, even though it was grey. We all looked like we were dressed in clothes that were basically... We looked like we were thatched, which can turn grey as well. A beautiful grey. Good morning, all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's Edge of Heaven, of course, and Wham, and the messages all come in. There, there's a lot of Wham, Whamettes uh, listening to this show. Uh, Tracy is back to. I think we spoke to, or we had Tracy texting us before about Wham. Wham is the very best thing that came out of the eighties. She says in block capitals here. Did anyone see the gorgeous Andrew Ridgely and the delightful Pepsi and Shirley on the one show last night? This is my favourite Wham song. Wham, always take me to the edge of heaven. <laughs> says Tracy Curtis who is, of course, our official Whamet correspondent, we have to say. Um, on this orange day, it's all about the greys as well in the text today. This person says, I worked on a job with the Irish Navy in the millennium decade. I learned a little late that everything they use had to be painted in battleship grey. Interesting. Or as it's known technically, RAL 7031. You know, the RAL codes, which are familiar to painter and decorators for describing any, uh, the, the mixes for paints, uh, every single paint that, that exists known to man. It's now imprinted on my mind for all the wrong reasons, says Seamus. RAL 7031, Seamus. Every morning he wakes up. RAL 7031. Um, hi, Oliver. It, my late dad used to say, it's no wonder you are the way you are, as I didn't drink tea 
in West Limerick, it's the cure for all ills. In Cavan, it's called Tay, that's right, and cures everything from ingrown toenails to grey hair. Uh, says Maureen Tully. Yes, uh, our friends. Uh, my friends are friends who drink coffee. Oh, so we have coffee friends and then there's the tea friends. I wonder, is there a difference between people who meet for tea specifically and people who meet for coffee uh, other than just, you know, kind of suburban Dublin versus maybe the rest of the country? Is the tea wet? But sure, look, the cultures are all up here and anyway, we've taken over. 51551, that is the text number. Now, we have a very touching account of life as a carer from the front lines of that very lonely slog after a break. And some of the topic is for grown-ups only. So please bear that in mind back after these. 51551, that's the text number. Um, we're back on the back on the greys. Well, actually, just before the, we go that, because I want to go back to Who Cares and Emily Kenway's story. Um, Oliver, I remember very clearly, just before I had my third child walking around a retail park with three different sets of incontinence pads for me, for the newborn, and for my elderly father, says Claire in Dublin. So that is that story about that thing we're all ashamed and afraid to talk about. But Emily Kenway is helping us uh, break down those taboos. Back to some other things less important. Uh, the colour grey and the millennial. Grey, which apparently is dead, according to the Gen Zers. Talk about the colour grey. What about the grey Massey Ferguson tractors of the 1940s, the 50s, and 60s? They graced the fields of rural Ireland for generations. The lifeblood of farming, turf saving, and transport to Sunday Mass. Let's not forget those great days, says Peter Logue, who's up in County Donegal. Yes, you're talking about the Diesel 20, we would have called. They. It was, I think there were Ferguson tractors now and Massey Ferguson came later and they were the red ones. But we could, we could do a whole other programme on that. Best thing to come out of the 80s was the Group B rally. Cars were grey in colour, but not in any other way. And that is, I'm fascinated by that because this is Group B rally, I think. I remember as a kid, there used to be random rallies in the middle of the night, which were the unregulated cars that could go at any speeds in any location with no stewards or anything to stop them. You just see uh, headlights flashing across between the drumlins. I think that's something I'm interested to find out more about the Group B rally. And uh, listening from up here, where's up here? Thank you for including the Nordies. Ah, in the text number every morning, I can hear the bands already in the background from my garden in County Armagh. This is what you do of a morning. You'd be sitting around with your friends, having the cup of tea and the hum of the bands coming over the hill. Uh, now, 51551, that's the text number. It's nearly 10 to, nine, 10 to 10. We'll take a little bit of this. I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. Don't know where it goes, but it's only me. Green day there and the sound of the noughties. Now, I'm Oliver Bing from the stony grey soil of Monaghan, you are well qualified in greyness, says Tony in Dublin, who has a grey car. I never thought of stony grey soil. I thought that was kind of important as well. Indeed, I think Paddy Cavanagh used to say that um, the greyness of Monaghan was far superior to the greyness of Connemara because Connemara is just all grey and he didn't didn't like take to it at all. Uh, grey cars, of course, that's a very new colour. I think it's called platinum grey. It's got this kind of semi-matte, semi-glossy thing. It's very, very fancy on Skodas and BMWs and things like that, yes. Um, Grey Ferguson 20 TVO. My father had one. I can still remember the smell. So grey is actually also a smell that comes uh, comes, comes through as well. Well, he's talking about the diesel 20s. Uh, I have a grey Massey 20. She's my old love. Twice my age, still flying. She'll see me out and probably whoever comes in after me too. My old grey girl, says Sai there, who definitely remembers Group 3B rallying. Whatever's going on there. Uh, that's it for today. Shinamade, the no bait. Uh, Claire Byrne is next. Back again tomorrow. Thanks all.